thank you for the word. I thank you, Lord God, that um, we have the fellowship, we have the ability to um, together, Lord God, to worship you, to celebrate your love, Lord God, to uh, grow in our love and our knowledge of you, Lord, our love for one another. And I pray that you would add to um, our numbers those that are being saved and Lord God, that you would just strengthen Rob as he preaches, Lord God, and um, we just thank you and thank you for the time of fellowship that we will be having, Lord God. Um, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is done. God, you are victorious, Lord. Everything that, Father, you have set out to accomplish, Father, Jesus, you cried out from the cross, it is finished. The hope that we have in the resurrected Christ, the hope of your return, Father, gathering those who belong to you, Lord Jesus. Our hope in Jesus can never disappoint us. Oh God, we may have a lot of disappointments in this world. But God, that's why you call us to keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you. Because our hope in you, Father, will never disappoint us. God, you're not man that you should lie. I thank you, Father, that we have the hope. I pray, God, that we have the hope. And for those who have the hope, God, in Jesus, Lord. Oh, Father, how that should just, ah, uh, God, drive us to a place of just worshiping. To worship you and you alone, God. You alone are worthy, O oh God, of all of our praise. <laughs> so I just thank you, God, just for this time that we've had to worship, this time that we're going to have to open up your word. I pray, God, that we will just settle our hearts to Christ. God, that we would just sit at your feet, and Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us, Father. These wouldn't be the words of man. <laughs> oh, but God, we need your word, the living word. Pray, God, that our hearts would be of good soil today to receive, Father. Bless the reading of your word, Father. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good morning. Application, sustained effort, hard work comes from the root word apply, which is which means to give one's full attention to work hard. And as I've been sharing over the past seven months about application, how are we doing? How are we doing with applying the truth that we are receiving from the Word of God? The Bible says it is the truth that sets us free. Freedom, freedom to, to live for Christ. To have all that he has accomplished for us. The victory is ours through Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not wringing out his hands. He's not anxious. He's not overwhelmed. He hasn't lost control. No, he is seated. And as Christians, if we're truly Christians, we have that confidence in our God, in our resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. That everything that He has purposed and that He has planned is all coming to pass. So application. How are we doing? How did you do this week with applying truth to your life? Because remember what the Bible says. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think, by the renewing of our mind. You see, we're not perfected until we're with him, but we ought to be growing. We ought to be maturing. We're not to just to be dragging behind. 
No, we're to be in the battle. We're to be on the front line, advancing forward for his kingdom, for his glory, application. And as we've heard over the past few months, applying the Bible is the duty for all Christians. Not just for some Christians, but for all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you have heard or learned from me or seen in me, put into practice. And I love this promise. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us. We're to put into practice. We're to take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of his lordship. Our lives are no longer our own. We're not moved by our desires and our wants and our needs. No, we're to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's how we're to be living. That's how, that's how we're to be growing. That's how we are to be maturing. The degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is a degree to which we will understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. We just can't be hearers. We have to be doers. So application applies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. Oh God, we all should know this by now. Helping us better distinguish between good and evil. Especially in this day and age and the generation that's ahead of us. Where evil is good. And good is evil. Everything's twisted in our generation. And in the generation ahead of us. I can't encourage you enough. If you're truly a Christian, you've got to be grounded. You've got to be rooted, as the Word of God says, in Christ. In Christ. This is our position. We see that all through the New Testament. As a Christian, what is our position? In Christ. We are seated with, with Christ. Daily, we are to be putting on Christ. We are to abide in Christ. Our position is in Christ. We are no longer living, but it's Christ living in and through us. We are daily being transformed into the image of Christ. This is the Christian life. Anything apart from that, that's not the Christian life. It's just a form of religion that amounts to nothing but a mockery of Christ. We are to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. I heard this quote this week I wanted to share with you. It's from Steve Douglas. He says, can you imagine what would happen in your world if you, one, walk, walk with God. Two, love, love your neighbors. Three, share, take the initiative to share with people how the Bible applies to their lives. Four, multiply, teach others to walk, love, and to share. And five, appreciate God, appropriate God's power. Draw on the Holy Spirit's limitless resources. And finally, six, seek help in learning to do all of this. Grow by receiving, training, and observing. People will want to know how they can experience what you have. 
You will lead them to come to know God personally and see their lives changed. You will show them how they can do the same with their friends and family or colleagues. Before long, you will have launched a spiritual movement that will spread out from you in all directions. You will be making a huge difference and leaving a powerful legacy. You will be making your life count. That's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. As Christians. Again, it's just not showing up for church. It's just not reading your little devotions. It's just not doing this or doing that, but it's loving Christ. It's loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength, and loving others enough to share the good news with them. We're living in a wicked and perverse generation. Go to James 1, 22, verse 25. Scriptures that I've held up to us in hopes to encourage you to apply God's truth. And I shared with you last week, listen, if you haven't been applying... All you've been doing this year is hearing and not putting into practice. It's not too late for you. Today's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Repent, get up, ask, and move. Don't beat yourself up. I keep telling y'all, don't play that weird, oh, poor me. I'm a bad Christian. I'm not going to go to church anymore. Oh, I can't live up to what they want of me. I can't do this. I can't do that. And you do not see what you're doing. It's just making it all about you. And there's nothing good in you. It has to be all about Christ. So when you see that you're not meeting the mark, well, run to Christ. Don't turn from Him. Run to Him. Remember, it's His loving kindness that brings us, that leads us to repentance. His desire is that none shall perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Him. This world is not our home. It's passing away. I keep telling you, everything is dust, dust, dust. There's a day of coming when we're all going to take our last breath. You're one step closer to the grave than you were yesterday. And we got to wake up, you all. Time, time, time is quickly passing. And we're spending it on temporal things that amount to nothing in the end. If Christ isn't first, and that's why Jesus gives us this understanding. You can't have anything or anyone before him. And it's not because he's a bad or weird God or an insecure God. He knows our condition. That's why he stepped down in the fullness of our flesh. Fully God, fully man. He knows our condition. He knows that we are at war. We are an enemy towards him. But yet he loves us. He's pursuing us. He's revealing himself to us time and time and time and time again. And so when he says, it's me, you can't put anything before me. No relationship, no material possession, nothing should come before me, he says. How'd you do with that today? How'd you apply that this week? 
this morning. <laughs> it's truth. We can have the victory because he's already victorious. We can walk in what he's calling us to. Why? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit. God himself in us, dwelling within us. We don't have to be living lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to be walking in step with the Spirit. So when you have all these distractions, when the world is turning upside down, left and right, my God, it's, I'm telling you, it's like living in one of those weird end-time movies. Aliens now on the earth. Uh -huh. Wars, rumors of wars all over Taiwan, China. We're sending all the equipment over there. Ukraine, Russia, you know, famine everywhere. Weather spots. Now they've shown the pictures of what happened at the Met Stadium last night with the clouds rolling in. All these weather events, all these different things taking place all over the world. And what on earth are we doing as the church? We have the news of the one who has come <laughs> to set the captives free. Because how do you you're to be living your life now if you're a Christian? In freedom. In freedom. Not in a 12-step program, but in freedom. Not in the religious works. I just gotta do good. I just gotta be right for God. I just gotta do. <laughs> but in freedom. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. My hope is not in anything that I can do to make me right with God. In and of myself, I can't do anything. No, my hope is what Christ has accomplished, and in Christ, I am made right with God. I'm at peace with my Creator. I can walk, and you can walk in confidence in that. No matter what you're walking through, no matter what's coming to the earth, for God's sakes, did you hear the new, new report that came out midnight hour last night? They're expecting it any day now. China's already put the malware into our, our military bases and then our, our electrical grids. And they're going to lock us down. I said, Jesus. All this hype, all this craziness that's going on. And we're just going to roll out of bed and say, I'm a Christian. <laughs> like, do you understand? We are to be waging war. Not in the physical realm. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers in the air and the darkness. But we can't even begin to combat at that level, because as I said weeks ago, because we haven't even dealt with our own flesh. We're still running amok, calling everything the devil. The devil ain't like you're no threat to the kingdom of darkness. He's got you chasing your own tail. Because <laughs> you're so consumed, we're so consumed. Me, myself, and I. Now, last time I looked in the Bible, 
Word of God says you're to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. So how do you apply that? How, how did you get up this week and apply that to your life? What does that look like? How did you live that out this week? Because you ought to be. Again, if not, don't beat yourself up. But just come awake. Come alive. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, the Bible says. Repent. Get up and move forward. God is calling us, you all. All throughout the earth, God's people are awakening. So application is vital. So we see here, James chapter 1, verse 20 through, 22 through 25. That's what I've been saying. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you learned or heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you look intently into the law, the perfect law, you see this is who you are now. <laughs> this is how you're to be living now. But if you close it and you just go on about your day and you forget, don't want to be done except a religious work. It's just the Bible is nothing but a little trinket for you. You're just superstitious. And it's nothing new under the sun. People have been taking God's word and making it out what they want it to be. Living lives contrary to what they say and to whom they say they believe in and follow. To have all this knowledge and yet no application. I love it. I saw this quote this week. It says that Satan, Satan is a believer. He's just not a Christian. <laughs> I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees the high priest back in the Old Testament, the priests back then. <laughs> they weren't believers. They just weren't followers. They went through all the rituals. They built their institutions. They added more and more to the, to the laws of God to oppress the people, to keep the people down. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, your father's the devil. I mean, come on. You have to learn to apply it. And you can't apply it in your own strength. That's why you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. To receive the Holy Spirit and to understand that if I've given my life to Christ, if I've been born again, I'm born again of the Spirit, I've got, the Bible says, I have everything I need to live a godly life. How godly were you this week? <laughs> because he's in us. 
Jesus says, I have to go away so that he will come. God in us. And we're not to be uniting God with other idols. We're not just to be out there running them up, giving ourselves over to everything and anything. (laughs) Because we've already given ourselves to the one who actually created us, who knows us far better than any temporal thing that we can give ourselves to. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15. So what do we do with all this? Well, work hard. So you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker. One who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You ought to be able to explain the word of truth, you all. It's been a weird week. I said, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Oh, God, help us. Let's go to Jude. That's where I'm heading. I encouraged you last week to go read Jude. Short, short. I don't know how many of you did. Very short little book. But so powerful. The craziness that I've heard all week this week, I'm like, Jesus, are we getting it, Lord? (laughs) Like, God help us, the church on this earth. To stay close to Jesus. To love Jesus. To live for Jesus. Because it's chaos out there. And I'm not just talking about the loss in the world. In the church. So-called Christians. Oh my God. I mean, I'm telling you all. And yet the New Testament warns us, warns us, warns us. The greatest threat to your Christian life is not the lost. It's those sitting amongst us who call themselves Christians. And yet, and yet don't even know Christ. And we keep just patting them on their back, stamping them, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. Well, you know, it's okay. That's their own personal journey and struggle. We make all these excuses. All these excuses. And I've warned us, I've warned us over the past few years, the church over this past generations, we have not been birthing out disciples. We've been birthing out apostates. People who make a mockery of Christ. I go, God, what kind of craziness is this? Trust me, trust me, I try my best in my formative years as a Christian to cling to my life, to cling to my wants, to cling to my desires. Surely, God, you know my weaknesses, and you must be okay with it. 
I tried every which way, and I just kept running into Christ. I just kept running into Jesus. I just kept running into the Holy Spirit. Heck, I even went through a season where I was calling the Holy Spirit the devil. Devil, you stop talking to me. Devil, you ain't stealing my joy. Devil, you ain't taking my money. Devil, you ain't ruining my relationship. Devil, you ain't taking my peace. And all along was the Holy Spirit. Because I was refusing to give up. I was refusing to die. I was refusing to lay it all down. I was refusing. I just want to be me and just have you when I want you. I sat there watching the other day. There's a congresswoman, this representative. Lady, get up. At a prayer breakfast, at a Christian prayer breakfast. She's the guest speaker. Room full of Christians. They come to pray, they come to pray, they come to pray, they come to seek the Lord's face. And she takes the platform. Very elegant lady. The devil comes in like an angel of light. Mm -hmm. She begins to open up to the prayer breakfast, you all. To the Christian gathering for pray, for prayer on behalf of our nation. And so then she begins to tell us I was almost late to the prayer breakfast. Because as I was getting myself up and ready for the prayer breakfast, my fiancé grabs me by my waist, and she grabs her waist, and he wanted to pull me back. But I said, oh, no, baby. You can get that later tonight. I got to get to prayer. I can't. Oh, she's laughing. She giggles. Oh, that must be tough. That could be too much, too much information. TMI, TMI. <laughs> And everyone's giggling. <laughs> I would have snatched her off that stage. She wouldn't have had a platform to stand on. She would have repented or she would have been thrown out. Dragged out. I don't know what we're doing, you all. I don't know what we're doing. But let me tell you what happened after that. Christians who stood up and said, what on earth just happened? Who brought correction to her? Who laid out that what she is doing... Is fornication? That she is shacked up? That she is sleeping and having sex out of wedlock? And the Christians who were standing up demanding that there will be some accountability, they were turned on by the so-called Christians in the room and the so-called Christian leadership, ministry leaders, people have, who have clout on social media, all of a sudden, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Everyone started making excuses. And the people who were standing up for truth, they were the enemies. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're the problem. 
And then she mockingly begins to even mock it all on her social media. Oh, I guess I'm going to be in trouble with my pastor. Oh, I guess I better go to church twice on Sunday. It's a woman, you're going to hell. Do we, do, do we understand that? Like, I, don't know who's, I don't know who's teaching her. I don't know who, who, what's going on. I don't know why she thinks that she can have a form of religion and think that all that is okay. But then what really hit me as I was been praying for her, I said, well, the crazy thing is, how about that audience? What were they doing before they came to prayer? How about half the church members who go to church on Sunday mornings, on Wednesdays, on Fridays, or whenever they show up when it feels good to them to show up, what have they been giving themselves to? And not even seeing a re- an issue with it. God's okay with it. God's okay with it. God's okay with it. God's okay with it. It's the sexual sin that's running amok. The gossiping, the backbiting, the tearing down is running amok. Thievery is running amok. Division, sowing strife and discord. Just chaos. Sin is running amok. And the last thing I see in the word of God, if that's not how the church is to function, but we are warned, we are warned all through the New Testament, that's what's coming to the church. That's what's coming in the last days. That's what's coming in the last days. There's going to be such a great falling away that people are going to start following the doctrines of demons. And they're going to laugh about it. (laughs) And people who hold a standard of righteousness and holiness, you're the problem. You're the problem. Why? Because Jesus was their problem. Jesus is our problem. When we're not in Christ, we're his enemy. We're hating. Don't you dare set up standards for me. Don't you tell me how I'm supposed to be living. I do what I want. I'm okay. You don't challenge my Christianity. You don't challenge my faith. What kind of nonsense? Unless we forget. <coughs> Paul says, turn them over to Satan. Well, Paul, that's kind of harsh. he says that because he says in hopes, in hopes that they would be saved. Because if they stay here among you all, there's no hope for salvation. You done watered it all down. I've got to wake up. And then my God, I'm listening to these people. And I'm telling you, if you're not rooted in Christ, You're going to be swept away. Like I said, in my experience, you ought to be running into Christ. Running into Christ. Oh, there he is. Oh, okay. You can't get away from him. And that's not your position. You're going to be swept away and we're warned it's going to happen. You're going to lose your secure footing. That's the Bible. listening to these people who've come out of the church, come out of the wounding of the church. The church has wounded me. I've come out from underneath my dad who's a famous pastor. 
and listening to these men, these women, who are gathering masses of followers. And if you're not rooted in truth, oh, it sounds like, yes, yes. And I'm like, God, they're speaking and they're going to be touching the broken to keep them broken. I said, Lord, they're twisting, they're manipulating God's words, God's truth, all for the name of Christ. And I'm like, what kind of madness is this? And then we're just going to get up out of bed, you all. You're just going to roll up out of bed. Just get through my day. Oh, God, we got to wake up, you all. My Jesus, do we have to wake up. This is not funny anymore. Not funny. Listen, I wish I could stand up here and just give you this, you know, fun-filled message. Just live, go, be free, do whatever you want, do whatever you want, live however you want. God loves you. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. What good would that be? What good would that be? Again, people have a right to live however they want. People have a right to live however they want. People can choose, and I will encourage them and love them. Just do, okay, do whatever. Go, because that's all you got. That's all you got. You want to do that? Then go, 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 go. Go and get your fill. But you will not be making a mockery of Christ in my presence. I mean, really, it's how we got to start getting to. No, no. I don't care you went to church this morning. <laughs> I don't care you prayed the little prayer, you went to the altar. There's no transformation in your life. There's nothing coming from you. There's no repentance. There's no genuine sorrow. Well, that's just you. No, that's Christ. Jude. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He writes, I'm writing to you all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you, and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Then he begins to shift. And he begins to talk about the dangers of the false teachers. He says, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. I mean, that's what, was, that's what was his original intent to write to the church. Eagerly planning to write to you about, about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. What is it, Jude? What's got you so stirred up? urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. This isn't just for then, this is for now. 
You have been entrusted. If you're truly a Christian, you have been entrusted. (laughs) And you are called to defend the faith. Not to go out there running amok with your bullhorns and your signs and acting a fool. But you are called to defend the faith. And I've always told you, you ought to do it first for yourself. (laughs) Deal with your thoughts. Deal with your heart. How are you standing up to yourself? (laughs) Preaching the gospel to you. So that when you have an opportunity out there, you are defending the faith. You are guarding what has been entrusted to you. I say this. Okay, Jude, what's got you stirred? I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying, listen to what the ungodly people are saying, that God's marvelous grace allows you to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. Oh, does that take God by surprise? All of this was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. Did you hear that? Oh, But don't get too excited there because those people, they didn't abide, they didn't remain because he goes on. But later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Or you should remember this because what's going on out there is the teachings that, well, it really wasn't the issue with sexual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) But what did the Word of God just say? Those cities were destroyed by the fire, by fire, and served as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael. One of the mightiest of the angels did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand, like unthinking animals. Listen to how he describes these people in the churches. (laughs) But these people... Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits for them? 
For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they receive, they, they deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people, O oh God, perk up, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, they're taking communion with you, <laughs> commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reeds, reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead. For they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. See, nothing's new, you all. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. The dangers of false teachers, you all. And you not only see it in Jude, we see it all throughout Scripture. This is what's happening in this day and age. This is what's been happening, and this is what's going to continue to happen as the days approaches the return of Christ. These false teachers, these false Christians, lest we just think it's people on the platform. These people who are living immoral lives, Running amok, divisive, gossiping, bound by sexual sin. Can't tolerate the word repentance. <coughs> Shackled. <coughs> and yet dare to claim the name of Christ. It's not even a joke anymore. It's not even funny anymore. Never has been. I mean, poor Jude, he was going to write about the great salvation that we all share. But no, I have to change. I, I've got something within me. I've got I to remind you all about these dangers, about the people who are among you, who just give way to every sort of desire and sin and say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't be all so holy. Do what I want. <coughs> you got your own problems. You're not perfect. We make all these weird excuses. God help us. What are we doing? What are we doing? With Christ, we're making a mockery of him. 
instead of upholding His standards. Instead of living out His truth. I mean, I love how He goes on here. He then switches to to calling the church to remain faithful. He exposes what's among them and who's among them. But you, my dear friends, must remember, must, must, circle, highlight, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there will be scoffers whose purpose, whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. You're not to be walking by your flesh, you all. You're to be walking in the step of the Spirit. The Bible says if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, come on, Rob. No, you come on. Lest you be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who's leading people to hell with you. (coughs) You're either bound for one or another place. (laughs) But Jude is saying, these people, these people in your churches, they follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. He goes on, but you, dear friends, must build each other up. Here's some application. What are we supposed to be doing in these days and in the days to come when all out war is thrown, it's it's coming on to the church? But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life in this way God, who listen to this, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others, listen, by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution. Hating, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Not hating the people. But hating the sin, not just going along with them. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Oh, yeah, Jesus loves you. Oh, yeah, everything's good. But hating it. Then he says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time, and in the present and beyond time, all time. Amen. We say, Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Jude way back then to write this letter to encourage us for what we're facing. Well, Rob, what are you saying? Christians aren't... They live this perfect life that they, that they learn never to sin. Ah, oh, come on. 
No one is saying that. But like First John has said to us, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember, you have an advocate. Sin is not to be your master. That's the difference between a, a true Christian and an unsaved person. We're not mastered by sin. But God, we've got to stop making excuses for what's going on in our lives and the lives of everyone around us. I keep telling you because the Word of God tells us we understand as the days keep approaching and as I just shared with you what's going on out there, people who are truly saved, truly Christians, are going to be pushed out. You're not welcomed. Because Christ isn't welcomed. What makes us think that somehow we're going to be welcomed when they don't welcome Christ? And if you're calling yourself a Christian, and if you truly are a Christian, and you are finding yourself in sin, repent. Repent. Because that's not your identity. Again, you don't play the weird shame-blame game. The reality is, no, it ought to grieve you. Got all these Christians running amok out there. Like I just told you about that woman at the prayer breakfast. Being very descriptive of how she's fornicating with her fiance. Everyone's giggling. <laughs> They're all going to hell. They're all running amok. There's no repentance. The Bible talks about genuine repentance. It's not, oops, sorry, God. Oops, sorry, God. No, it's a deep sorrow like, oh, God. And then you repent. Because it's his loving kindness that draws you to repentance. He's not stiff-arming you. It's his loving kindness. It's the working of the Holy Spirit drawing you. You're not where you should be. Oh, God. And then you depend upon Him. It's like I said, trust me, I tried all these times to keep going my way, to do me, to do what I like, to do what I want. But boom, there He is. Oh, Jesus, I can't escape you. Where can I go? And y'all not even dealing with your own desires. Not only dealing with your own craziness, these warped realities that we create. But I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to church. And we're making a mockery of him. We're making a mockery of him. People are dying. Thousands upon thousands are dying daily, if not billions. <laughs> and they're on their way to hell. eternity and we're just going to roll up out of bed I'm a Christian <laughs> and we're marking ourselves among them oh, I'm just I dealt with this last week that weird lie that we believe I'm just a sinner I'm just a sinner ah, 
Not if you're, not if you're a born-again <coughs> believer. You're a child of God. Who might sin. They're not mastered by sin. we got to start, you all, applying God's truth. we got to start shattering the strongholds. The Bible tells us He gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish these strongholds in which have been created. The Bible warns believers, do not give the enemy a foothold or he would develop a stronghold. And once a stronghold is developed, he has captured you. But praise be to God. The Bible tells us he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. We read last week, try to encourage y'all. What does the Bible say when you find yourself in sin? It doesn't say get your charms out and start rubbing the beads. It doesn't say light a candle. It doesn't do all these rituals. No, if you're truly a believer, you know what the Bible says, as we heard from Scripture last week, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. What? And then run with endurance. That's what the Bible says. Throw it off and then run with endurance. Not wall around in shame and guilt. Oh, what are they going to think of me? Oh, I can't tell nobody. Oh, it doesn't matter what they think of me. I'll come in there and I'll drag my sin right before them and I dare someone to say something to me. What kind of hell are you possessing? I'm tired of playing games with people. Come on, brother. What kind of nonsense are we doing? I don't care. Live however you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Run around, run amok, be your poor steward of everything and anything you have. Just go butt wild. But don't think that I'm going to go along with you and then stamp you on your forehead that you're a Christian. Because I love you too much to play that game. <clears throat> Repent. True repentance. You say, well, how do I know if it's true? You'll change. Change will come. Transformation will come. I shouldn't be standing up here sharing this with you. I should be running them up. No credit of my own. But because God loved. God called. God was pleased to reveal himself. As he does with all of us. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. We got to understand the times in which we're living. We got to understand. And you say, well, how do I throw off the sin? Repent. Get out from under its rule and its reign over your life because it's not your master. Get up and start slamming doors shut. Get away from people y'all not to be around. Start doing what is right. Well, it's uncomfortable. Who cares? Who said it was going to be easy? Stop 
clicking on things you ought not to be clicking on. Stop laughing and going along with it. <laughs> and you're just cheapening the blood of Christ. Like, come on. Come on. Jesus, you all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. our God you all and he calls us to this life and not only does he call us to it he gives us what we need and who we need the Holy Spirit in us to live it out then he tells us the flesh and the spirit are going to war against each other I mean other religions understand this that's why I keep telling you all Jesus these other religions out there they take, the enemy uses this truth and deceives them with truth and takes them to hell, a place that was prepared for him. All the other religions out there have some form of truth in this. And then somehow we want to prop up these other religions. Well, they're not that bad. Well, you know, oh, well, it's the great God that they serve and they seek. So God's going to be understanding. No, no, no. God sees them as his enemy. He's going to destroy them because he's been revealing himself to them. I was praying for the Native American people. If they don't come to know Jesus, they're going to hell. I don't care what you believe or what you think about their great spirit. It's demonic. It's demonic. As with every other religion out there. But I started thinking about them this week because I was reading this parable that they teach to the young. And I said, my God, it's biblical truth. And the enemy's taking it and just twisting it. And then as I went from there, it goes right into the Buddhist teaching and all this stuff. And I was just reading through all this and I'm like, God, these poor people. And yet they will fight against Christ. But don't you know that what you're following is the teachings of Christ? You just deny the one who taught it. What's happening? The chiefs sit down with the children. There's these two great wolves. One wolf. Basically, the works of the flesh. Anger. List all the, the workings of the flesh. As Galatians does. Then there's this other wolf. Love and joy and peace and patience. And the workings of this wolf within you cause you to do that which is good and productive amongst the tribe. Chief! Chief! The young boy says in this proverb. How do these wolves grow? By what you feed them. By what you give them. What Galatians tells you. What you feed breeds. The 
flesh is an active force. You are to consider yourself dead to it and alive in Christ. Walk in the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus. Just say the name Jesus. They need to know Jesus. That's all we have to offer people. Stop all this foolishness, all these trinkets and all these weird stuff that we're doing. All in the name of Jesus. It's hard to be living lives, you all, different. Lives that are different. Because we are in Christ. This is our position. So we're to remain alert. Remain steadfast, immovable. Walk upright amongst a weakened and perverse generation. Not by my might, nor by my power, but by the Spirit of the living God. I don't know how you're talking to yourselves. But listen, we're going into August. And this isn't just, oh, well, let's just give them a word for the year. (laughs) This is birthed out of prayer. Prayer for myself and then for us. And for others that I come in contact with. Not to play games with people. Not to play games. If you haven't repented of past sins, you need to. Stop making excuses for them. Well, I just had to do what I had to do. Oh yeah, that's what you did. But look where I got you. And you're not going to get up any further from where you're at until you repent. Because how can God continue to bless what you keep carrying along that makes him uncommon, makes him common, makes him nothing? Well, God bless my life. God bless my life. And you haven't even given your life to him. A true repentance, you all. True turning away from. Cutting it off. Understanding what the word says. Get in deep. Stop playing with tiptoe in the water. <coughs> Get in. But I don't know everything. Of course you don't. That's why you keep pressing in. That's why you keep pressing on. This isn't a game. This is all out war. Again, for God's sakes, aliens. Demonic manifestations that are about to take place. I can't can't warn y'all enough. This world is preparing its stage for the Antichrist. There's going to be the most chaotic things that we've never seen before happen. And we're just going to, if you're not in Christ, you're going to be swept away with it. Ooh, ah. And you were purposed for down. Like God purposed you. If you have breath in your body, you were purposed for today. For this generation, the generation to come. I don't care what your age is, as long as you have breath in your body. You're purposed. 
to be prayerful, to be watchful, to grow, to mature. Remember the standard that the Bible sets. The Bible sets. How's a Christian to be living? Like Jesus. Oh, but we listen to that lie that our flesh and the enemy loves to tell us. Oh, listen, that can't be done. That can't be done. And so you hear people say, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. And you strip him. You crucify him over and over and over and over again. You're making a mockery of him. I mean, when I finally saw Jesus victorious, I was like, what? Like, uh, God. Like, what? What can man do to me? What am I doing fearing man? All they can do is this body. (laughs) No, no, the Bible says. The Bible says don't fear man. All they can do is destroy your body. But hear this, what the word of God says. What then, who then shall we fear? What do I apply? What truth do I apply? Fear God. The only one that can not only destroy your body, the Bible says, but would destroy your soul, send you to hell. That's what the Bible says. Oh, I don't like that type of God. Well, then you don't know God. Because he's a God of wrath and he's a God of love. He's a God of love and he's a God of wrath. Wherever there's his wrath, there's his love. Wherever there's his love, there's his wrath. And we're playing games. Living like people that don't even know him. Gotta wake up, y'all. Gotta wake up. Gotta wake up. So passionate. I mean, I, this week has been crazy from the things I've been hearing. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, if not but for God, for Christ, Lord mercy. I'm telling you, these people are articulate. They're well-scholared. They got their TikToks. They got their, they got their reels. They, they got all these followers and they're deceiving people. I'm like, God. This is what you're up against each day, you all. To go out and to be a truth and a light among the darkness. To love them enough to live your life in Christ before them. Preach it to yourself first. So that they can see it lived. Your words, if it's just words, it's just nothing but talk. There's no power in it. And you're making a mockery of Christ. But I didn't be able to see, like, well, wait, there is a difference in you. There's something different. I mean, the Bible even tells you your former friends are going to make fun of you. Mm-hmm. Your life begins to change. You don't begin to think, oh, now I'm better than everyone. No, you, it's a place of humility. You remain humble. Like, wow, God. Now we're 
called just to go and to go in to the world and to be his image bearer. Do you understand that? And the world is going to hate you because it hates Christ. You're to go in daily because you're putting on Christ daily. You're, you're dressing yourselves. You're getting up and you're saying, I can't do it in my own strength. Holy Spirit, Ooh, help me, help me, help me. Stay in line and in step with you. Be quick to bring conviction. Let me see the way out of temptation because I know temptation is not the sin, but let me see the way out so I can escape. Oh God, if I bite into it, I know the only thing that can come from it is death. And God, I'm not a child of death any longer. So let me feel the conviction so that I can repent. The sorrowful repentance, I don't belong there anymore. And I can throw off the sin that so easily entangles me. And I can run with the endurance. The life in which you've called me to. I don't have to continue to have these insecurities. I don't have to continue just to be a bad mouth. I don't, I don't continue to harbor all this anger and unforgiveness. I don't have to continue to harbor this and that and this desire and that and this and that and all of that that the flesh has. Because I know that old person. And I've nailed him, I've nailed her to your cross. So I don't know how you're speaking. But if you're not speaking, you're not living for Christ. And I'm concerned for you. You're going to be swept away. Swept away. Only those who were in the ark, when that door closed, were safe. An ark is a it's a symbol, it's a figure of Christ. Only those who are in Christ, when the judgment of God hits this earth, are safe. And so you better start giving thought. And it's not to scare you into Christ. It's just the reality. Because again, when you see, when you understand his wrath, when you understand what you deserve, when you understand that you're his enemy, you deserve his full-on judgment and wrath because he's a righteous God. He's a holy God. When you understand that, and yet then God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus, you go, what? It humbles you. Such great love begins to embrace you. I formed you. I know you. I've created you. I've got good works for you to do. I understand your condition. And I've made a way out of your bondage. And it's through my son Jesus. Look upon him. The love of God. The love of God. And he's pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus to save you from himself. Because it's his wrath that's coming. Sounds foolish to the natural mind, but when your eyes are open, you go, what? I'm all in, God, because where else can I be? 
what a fool I would be to turn from you and keep living out of myself, out of my wants, out of my desires. Oh no, oh no, God. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. That's why in Revelation it says the Spirit and the Bride together in unison say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Because He's coming, you all. We're going to take communion and we do this in remembrance of Him. That's what He calls us to do. And so as Norma comes and as I play this song over us, I want you to prepare your hearts. We just don't take communion flippantly. Oh, okay, it's a wafer and a juice. But the reality of what it symbolizes. So if you have active sin in your life, if you got things, just don't, don't rush into this time. As these songs, as these words are being sung over you, allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Get yourself right before God. The Bible says if you're just flippantly taking communion, you're reaping judgment upon yourself. So there's nothing to, to dilly-dally with. So it's just the reality. This is a, this is a, this is a precious moment that we have now to remember what our Savior has done for us. So let these words encourage you as they're being sung over you.
praying over the bread. couple weeks I've been talking about True Freedom Fellowship, who we are as a local church. We are a full functioning church, though we don't meet in a quote-unquote building, we meet in a house, but we are a full functioning church. And so I just want to make sure that you know, if you're calling this your church family, whom you're saying you're doing life with. So I started off, if you missed any part of it, you can go to our website, you can read through it. Who we are, talk about that. What are our core values? What is our statement of faith? What do we believe? Twelve points that you should know and hopefully you're in agreement with. If not, we should meet. But today I'm finally finishing this portion about True Freedom Fellowship by frequently asked questions. Because you don't have to, you all should be inviting people to come to church with you. You say, well, it's such a small place. What do we do if it gets too big? Or what about all those people we have to feed? Let the Lord worry about that. You should do your part to encourage people to come to church with you. Saved and unsaved. 
so they can hear truth. They can be a punk fellowship. They can have a good meal. <laughs> but ultimately, this is who we are. So some of the questions that we've heard over the years. Since you do not meet in a church building, does that mean you are angry at or bitter towards what is considered traditional church? Answer, no, not at all. Quite the opposite. We love the body of Christ, regardless of where or how they meet. We want to partner with and come alongside all types of fellowships, those who meet in traditional church buildings and those who don't. The church is called to edify, equip, and build up the body of Christ so that the kingdom of God can advance. Well, how do y'all approach the topic of tithing? Here's the answer. We believe that giving to the work of the Lord is a command from the Lord and very biblical. We are not classified as a nonprofit organization in the eyes of the government, so you will not get any tax credit for a gift. We also do not have a formal collection time. It is left up to you and God as to how you would choose to give. We have missionaries and missions that we support and we encourage, and you are encouraged and welcome to give to them. We also take up a collection for various needs in the body or in the community as they come up. You're also welcome to give towards the weekly cost of our meeting times, i.e. food costs or any other supplies. However you give, give out of obedience and a glad heart with a desire to see the kingdom of God advance. Well, are you affiliated with a specific denomination? The answer, no. We're not associated with any one denomination in particular. We do have a set of Bible-believing truths that we operate under. That's at the statement of faith. However, we are not considered a part of any one denomination. We are an evangelical body of believers who believe in the sovereignty of God and that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. It is our desire to extend fellowship to believers from all backgrounds, regardless of denomination, uniting under the truth of the gospel and God's redeeming and disciplining love. This is who we are. So I would encourage you, you know, to, to go to the website, to interact with it, you know, to understand who, who are we, what are our core values. Carrie made these little cards there on the corner there that y'all can take. Remind you of our core values. You know, we have our statement of faith. And we have these frequently asked questions so that you can be prepared. Because I know, you know, you're telling me, what are you going to do? I'll go to the home church. What is that? You should be able to know. You shouldn't be weird about it. Like, well, I don't know, no. But no, you should be able to be able to understand how you're worshiping with the body of believers who's a full-functioning church and within the body of Christ. So that's good stuff. Let's move on. We're going to close our time with prophecy. We'll pick up with our scriptures next week. How to get Jude in this week. But let's talk about prophecy. So prophecy is important. It shows God's control over history. In that, what he predicts does come to pass. He's in control of his plan and purpose. He will have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God. Prophecy proves the integrity of scripture. It protects us from false teaching and it prepares us for the last days. These prophecies that I've been holding up over the past few weeks, again, just another tool to give you, to equip you to know your God, to be able to defend the faith, and ultimately to trust your God. 
Like these prophecies have been fulfilled. These are prophecies that were spoken about Christ. And so we're going to look at three again today. The first one, the prophecy concerning Christ is that he will be betrayed by a friend. Let's go to Psalm 41. Verse 9. Psalm 41. Verse 9. Here's the prophecy. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Go to Mark 14 for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. Betrayed by a friend. Another prophecy concerning Christ is that he will be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah 11, verse 13. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum of which they valued me. So I took the thirty coins and threw them to the potter, in the temple of the Lord. There's your prophecy. Let's go to Matthew 26. Verse 14 through 15. The fulfillment. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces. Of silver. Prophecy, you all, concerning Christ. That which was spoken had to come to pass. And finally, the money, the 30 pieces, was returned for the potter's field. Go to, well, we're not going to read it again. The prophecy is in Zechariah 13, I mean 11, verse 13, which we just read. The fulfillment is Matthew 27, verses 5 through 10. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple. That's what the prophecy mentioned. And went out and hung and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. In some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field. And they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is still called the field of blood or the field of slaughter. This fulfillment, this 
fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says, they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and purchased the potter field as the Lord directed. Money returned for the potter's field. Now, some of you may have caught on, some of you may not, but I'm going to close with this understanding, and we're actually going to go deeper on Wednesday night. So if you want a deeper understanding of what I'm about to discuss, you should come Wednesday night. So Matthew that we just read, chapter 27, he mentions Jeremiah. He doesn't mention Zechariah. And the quote of the prophecy that he mentioned that came from Jeremiah is actually not Jeremiah's prophecy, it's Zechariah's prophecy. So one, my question, well, Matthew, did you just get the names wrong? And it's funny what you'll find online or in commentaries. You've got to be careful. You've got to get, got to get rooted. You've got to understand. It's not an error. There's a purpose behind it. And so we're going to hear the purpose, and we're going to go deeper into it on Wednesday night because we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 19 on Wednesday. But, so, the question is, how does Judas throwing away the 30 pieces of silver connect to the prophecy in Jeremiah? In the case of the study of Judas' death and the pieces of silver, Matthew is referencing from Jeremiah 19. In order to understand how Jeremiah's prophecy connects to Matthew, it's difficult to explain without a full study of Jeremiah 19 as well as a significant background on tribulation. But we can offer a brief explanation. In Jeremiah 19, the Lord promises Israel that a day of judgment is coming as a result of the nation's sin under the Old Covenant, particularly Israel's involvement in child sacrifice in the Valley of Hinnom, south of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 19 is a prophecy set in that location, which is also the location of Judas's death. Jeremiah tells Israel that a day is coming when the nation will be slain by an adversary and the bodies will lie unburied in the valley of Hinnom. These curses will be fulfilled during the time of the seven-year tribulation on earth, during which time Jews will be hunted by the Antichrist and their bodies will lay unburied in the valley of Hinnom like Judas did until the second coming of Christ, after which the nation of Israel will be saved and brought into the kingdom. So Matthew is connecting this prophecy to Judas's death because, in fact, one becomes the means to the fulfillment of the other. Because the religious leaders of Israel enticed Judas to betray Jesus, the nation will be judged in a future day for rejecting their Messiah. That judgment will include the penalty of Jeremiah 19, which ironically promises that Israel will experience a fate similar to the one experienced by Jesus' betrayer. So Matthew says Judas's death is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 19 because Judas's fate will be the fate for many in the nation of Israel and a future day because they rejected their Christ in his day. Since one event directly leads to the other, it can be said that one fulfills the other. So to make matters more confusing, Matthew chose to reference Jeremiah 19 but used the words taken from Zechariah 11, verse 13. Matthew wasn't quoting the prophecy of Zechariah 11 since that prophecy does not relate to the events of Judas' death. 
Apparently, Matthew borrowed wording from Zechariah 11 to demonstrate that Judas was a prophetic figure in God's plan for the life of Jesus. Judas didn't kill Jesus. The father allowed the Romans to, while at the same time calling it a fulfillment of Jeremiah to make clear that Judas's sorry, to make clear that Judas in pictured a future fulfillment of Jeremiah 19. Matthew was more interested in showing his readers. Remember who he was writing to. It's important. So Matthew was more interested in showing his readers the prophetic significance of Judas's death as it related to the future consequences for Israel having rejected the, their Messiah rather than merely noting the consequences for Judas's death or my, for, for Judas personally. While this approach in interpreting Old Testament quotations may seem convoluted or confusing, it's actually, it was actually very common back in those days. It's common to, in, to Matthew's gospel and the rabbinical practices of Jesus' day. It's how they talked. And so I just want to share that with you, just in case you ever wonder. And we'll go deeper into Jeremiah 19, how it all kind of ties together and the whole purpose of it. There's not an error in the Bible, but you may read that and you think, oh, that's, that's Jeremiah. But actually, reality, the prophecy that was quoted from Zechariah. But there's a fulfillment that Matthew is pointing to, to the prophecy of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 19 for what's to come. The Bible, you all, it's the living word of God. It's the living word of God. It's our instruction manual. It's who we are now. Everything in it, from beginning to the end. Not just what we want to pick and choose, but everything. Because it's ultimately pointing to Jesus and ultimately God's plan. That he will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. There's a way in which you were called to live and it's to honor Christ, you all. I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.
Jesus said